Uh, we're picking up again in 2 Corinthians in 12, 11 through 21 this morning. Uh, we'll begin by reading that scripture. Let's keep in mind as we do so that Paul here is beginning to wrap up what is known as his foolish speech. Remember, he has referred to the false teachers who have moved into Corinth as being foolish in the fact that they boast about themselves rather than boasting in what God is doing. And so he then turns around and says, well, I'm going to be foolish myself, and I'm going to boast about myself. Except when he begins to do that, he's not boasting in, the, in, the, in a favorable way. He's boasting about his weaknesses and his difficulties and his failures. And he does that in order to prove that God is the one who is making this a successful ministry. It's not my efforts. It's God's efforts that are having fruit here in all of this. So as we pick up in this section of 2 Corinthians, let's keep those things in mind. He says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in that it, for in what you were less favored, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me for this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children is not are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the opportunity to study this entire book. We're getting close to finishing it up. And we, we have had the privilege of seeing the heart of Paul laid bare in this, in this uh, epistle to the Corinthians. And we pray now as we study this small portion of it that you would be our guide, that you would lead us through it, that you would help us to glean from it those things that are going to help us to 
love you more and to uh, be willing to, like Paul, expend ourselves for the advance of the gospel. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, keeping those things in mind about Paul's purpose here, let's plunge into the questions that I sent to you in email. In 12.11, Paul says, I was not inferior to these super apostles. Let me read that. I have been a fool, Paul says. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. So what things demonstrate that this statement was true? And I gave you a couple of references there to look at, and there are many, many others, but just a couple of them there that indicate that it was true that Paul was not inferior to them and actually was superior, although he phrases it differently. I'm not inferior. What did you find in those verses? Endurance. Endurance. Paul was willing to endure in spite of a great deal of hardship, wasn't he? What else did you see? Commitment. Commitment. He was committed to doing that which God had given him to do. He was an apostle. An apostle is someone who has been sent for a purpose to deliver a message. And Paul was faithful and committed to doing exactly that. Yes. He had teaching directly from Jesus. He had teaching directly from Jesus. Something those, um, and that, by the way, is one of the marks of a true apostle. And so he was a true apostle uh, and had the direct teaching from Jesus. And that's the gospel that he presented to the Corinthians. So in those ways, he was at least not inferior to the super apostles. Uh, here are the two references I gave you out of many that we could have looked at. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Now he's referring here to the other apostles and his trip to Jerusalem uh, to meet with the other apostles. And he says, I worked harder than any of them, but then he's quick to add, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul clearly had uh, the empowerment, the strength uh, of God's Holy Spirit with him in helping him to minister. So in spite of his weaknesses, his ministry was still a success. If you looked at it from only a human standpoint, well, this guy's a mess. He's a wreck. He can't possibly be a, a true apostle. Look at all these awful things that are happening to him. But his ministry was a great success. The grace of God was with him and empowered him in fulfilling his ministry. 1 Corinthians 9 says... Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The thing that indicated that Paul's ministry was at least not inferior, and we would say much superior, 
to that of the false apostles in Corinth who had moved in after he left. The thing that indicates that is the result of his ministry and the fact that the Corinthians were saved uh, and, and, uh, and his ministry was like that not only in Corinth but wherever he went and, uh, and ministered to the Gentiles as God had sent him. Here's question number two. He mentions the signs of an apostle, of a true apostle in verse 12. Uh, what was that? What are the signs of a true apostle in verse 12? Yes. Wonders. Yes, they perform wonders. What's the description that's given there in verse 12 of all of that? Mighty works. What else? Uh, he, he did it patiently, yes. It said, let me read 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So three things are mentioned there. Signs, wonders, mighty works. I think they're all referring to the same acts, but those function in different ways. Signs that were indicating the validity of the message that Paul was delivering and the wonders is the, is the impact that it had upon those who observed this and, uh, and uh, with the utmost patient and uh, mighty works, the work of the Holy Spirit working through him. So signs, wonders, and mighty works are the things that he says here and elsewhere were the signs of a true apostle. And then somebody already mentioned it. The second part of this, how does Paul describe the manner in which he performed these signs? It says here that he did that with the utmost patience. And that's sort of an indication to me that this was the way Paul's ministry was, not just in Corinth, but also in Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica and all of the other places that Paul ministered as God had called and sent him to do. If we look at those other verses, 2 Corinthians 6, 4 says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in affliction, hardships, and calamities. Do you think that probably could be said about those super apostles in Corinth? Not likely. I think they were taking the easy way out and they were taking advantage of the Corinthians for their own benefit. And Romans says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. It's in Christ Jesus. It's because of what he is accomplishing through Paul. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has a, what, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of of the Spirit of God. That's the signs of the true apostleship. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So I think there was a consistency there. I think somebody mentioned consistency in his ministry. It was all around, everywhere he went. This is the way Paul's ministry went. And despite the difficulties 
he pressed on and was consistent and enduring in all of this. Question number three. What were some of the non-miraculous indications that Paul was a true apostle, distinct from the false apostles? Now, I think everything in Paul's life could probably be turned a miracle. God was working in him uh, in, in a miraculous way and supporting him and upholding him and strengthening him and allowing him to be successful, causing him to be successful in his ministry. But there were some things that were intended to be signs. There were sort of on-demand miracles, healing the sick, for example, healing the blind. Uh, and those were the, were the signs and wonders and powerful acts it refers to. But there were characteristics of his ministry that also indicated that he was a true apostle. Uh, what did you find as you looked up those verses? Changed lives. His ministry resulted in, it had an effect, didn't it? Uh, people's lives were changed. And uh, certainly that was miraculous in one way of speaking, but it was characteristic of his ministry wherever he went. Uh, it wasn't a punctiliar sign that was designed to validate his ministry. But in, the, in looking at the whole ministry, it certainly does validate for us that he was a true apostle. Anybody notice anything else? There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Endurance and hardships. Yeah, he endured a lot. And uh, there was verses that we've looked at before where he goes into great detail about the things that he was, uh, that he faced in his ministry, some awful things. And God upheld him through it all. And despite those things, his ministry was a great success. Here are some of those verses. Second Corinthians 3 says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So here is someone mentioned the success of Paul's ministry. Uh, and as you looked at what happened in Corinth, these folks were saved. It must have been a huge shock to the population in Corinth that knew these folks who were all saved because there had to be a dramatic change in their way of living and their way of thinking. And so much so that Paul says, I don't need any letter of recommendation as I move around the civilized world and, and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles because they've all heard what happened and they've all seen it and they can look at you and tell uh, that the ministry that I am fulfilling for Christ is true and I'm a true apostle because of the effect. You are my letter of recommendation, he says. And it's not one that's written on tablets of stone like Moses, uh, God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments, but rather it's written upon the human heart. So it's the changed hearts of those to whom he ministered indicate that this is indeed a true apostleship. 
2 Corinthians 7, 2 says, Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. Now, I sort of feel like he's saying those particular things because the opposite was true of the, of the false apostles. They had wronged the Corinthians. They were taking advantage of them. Uh, and they were corrupted in that they were demanding monetary support from the Corinthians. So they were the, the work that they were doing in, in Corinth was for their own benefit. 2 Corinthians 8.20 says, We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. So he's talking about this collection uh, for the saints in Jerusalem. And that's being taken place uh, in all of the churches that Paul is ministering in then. And remember, the Corinthians were very anxious. They asked to be included in it. They asked if they could participate in this. And so Paul, in, in, in defending his ministry, he says, we take this course so that no one can blame us about this generous gift. Now, I have heard people even today who say, oh, you can't believe Paul. He was in it for himself. All that money he collected, he got it. You know, you, you read the history of the Apostle Paul. It wasn't worth it if all he was in it was for money. It wasn't worth it. And, uh, and that's just simply not true. But he says, in order to demonstrate that that benefit, that collection is not for our benefit, I have taken the, the circumstances that I've taken uh, by sending Titus ahead, and with Titus went whom? Who? Another brother. And he's not named, but we've got a name for him because it says he was, uh, he was an earnest disciple. So we can call him earnest. So Titus and Ernest made this trip ahead of Paul back to Corinth to make sure that they had indeed begun the collection for the saints and that they would, were following through with it and that Paul would not be embarrassed when he got there uh, and find out that they had not done that. He had boasted about them. He had used the example of the Corinthians as he was ministering in uh, Macedonia and he bragged about them. And it would be a humiliation for him to get there and find out they had not actually carried through on this. So Titus and Ernest are going together to make sure none of that, none of those funds were waylaid in, in another direction. Second Corinthians 6 says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, 
We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. What a remarkable description of Paul's ministry that is and the success of it that grew out of this this ministry with with all of these good and bad things that he mentions here. So again, validation for the ministry of Paul being a true apostle. Final question number four. In verse 19, what is the reason Paul gives for his foolish speech and indeed for his entire apostolic ministry? And I gave you a couple of verses to look at that describe that. So let me read verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. So what's the reason he gives there in 19 for this ministry, for his foolish speech? And indeed, it describes his entire apostolic ministry. Say that again. Yes, presenting the believers as blameless before Christ. What else do you see there? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Uh, First of all, we notice there that he he tells the Corinthians, you think I'm defending myself, and I'm not. I'm defending God's work. And it's only in the sight of God. God is the one who is judging me, not you. I don't owe any kind of explanation to you for what I'm doing, but God is the one who is empowering, and he's the one who will also judge me for the success of my ministry. And all of this, he says, I do for what? Upbuilding, beloved. Uh, The purpose of my making this kind of foolish speech is for your upbuilding. And indeed, that is true of his entire apostolic ministry. It was true of all the apostles' ministry. It was upbuilding the church. But in particular, in Paul's case, where he was going to Gentiles, and the Gentiles were being saved, and they were forming these local churches like they did at Corinth, uh, then his purpose in continuing to minister to them was upbuilding them, not in attacking them and tearing them down, which again, I think, is what was happening with the false apostles. They were tearing them. They were harsh taskmasters, I think, from everything we read between the lines here. Here's some other verses. 2 Corinthians 10, 8. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. 
And so this authority that Paul has uh, was given to him for the purpose of building you up. It was not in writing these the severe letter that's referred to here that uh, where he castigated the Corinthians for what was going on. That's not his purpose. His purpose is to build them up. And 2 Corinthians 13.10, For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. So even when Paul is castigating them for their behavior, it's for the purpose of building up. And that's true, I think, of a true apostle, Paul or any of the other apostles. It's for building up the church of God and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Paul's case, to the Gentiles, to the others, to the Jews. Well, let's look at our outline. Three main points I see here. First of all, the nature of Paul's ministry in verses 11 through 13. The responsibility of Paul's ministry in verses 14 through 18. And the purpose of Paul's ministry in 19 through 21. So if we look at the nature of Paul's ministry, he begins here, I have been a fool. You forced me to do it. For I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. So he says, first of all, I'm worthy of your commendation. I'm having to defend myself. You forced me, he says, because you did not defend me. And I was worthy of your commendation. You should have defended me before these false apostles. Instead, you accepted them and took them in and began to pay attention to them. So my, my apostleship, my service in Corinth was worthy of commendation. It was equal to the super apostles, he says. And we've seen ways that prove that that's true. We've seen the signs of true apostleship in 12. Verse 12 says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. So signs, wonders, and mighty works are these miraculous signs of a true apostleship. And then he says he does it free of charge. And did you notice the sarcasm here? Uh, Paul is using a great deal of irony and a great deal of sarcasm as he writes in this portion of 2 Corinthians. He says, how did I wrong you? Was it because I didn't charge you for preaching to you? Well, please forgive me for being uh, so bad to you that I didn't make you pay. Uh, and again, it's, a, it's a, an attack, sarcastic attack on the, uh, the false apostles. He does it. The, his ministry was free of charge to the Corinthians. The responsibility of Paul's ministry in 14 through 18. He says, first of all, he is acting as a parent. And he quotes the, the well-known thing that's true then, true now, that parents save for their children. It's not the other way around, that children save up for their parents. Now, children 
help their parents when, when they need to, but it's a parent's responsibility to save up and, uh, until the child becomes an adult and to provide for them. And so Paul is saying here, I'm a parent to you. I'm the one who preached the gospel to you. You responded to that preaching of the gospel, so I am your father in the faith. And that's the way it should be, he says. In verse 15, Paul had a responsibility to them. And he says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So he's willing not only to spend what resources he has, which are being provided by some of the other churches, and also in his work as a tent maker, he's willing to spend that. But even more important than that, he's willing to spend himself for their souls. So they were the object of his ministry, not an income. Uh, So he was gaining their souls in this ministry. And then establishing integrity in verses 16 through 18, that which we talked about just a minute ago about the collection of the saints. And I think I mentioned previously that we follow that same uh, manner as we handle money here in the church. Uh, When we take up an offering, no one person takes that offering back upstairs and puts it in the safe. Uh, We generally have three people there. Uh, who are counting and handling that money. Uh, That's for uh, the counter's protection as well as the church's protection. And Paul is sending Titus and Ernest uh, and and establishing the the integrity of of the collection for the saints in verses 16 through 18. And then finally, the purpose of Paul's ministry. Now his purpose, his commission from God was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But in this narrow little section here, there is a purpose that he's setting forth within that larger context of preaching the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. The purpose of God's uh, of Paul's ministry was, first of all, God's approval in verse 19 and the first part of that. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Uh, God is the one who judges him. God is the one who says if his ministry is has integrity or not. And so he's working for God's approval, not for the approval of the Corinthians, and certainly not to gain the approval of these super apostles that he's talking about. In verse 19, the last part of that is spiritual upbuilding that we talked about just a moment ago. His purpose was to build the church up, not to tear it down by constantly telling them what they're doing wrong. It was to build them up. And then finally, in verses 20 through 21, we have the church discipline. Paul says, I fear that when I get there, I'm going to find things still left over that haven't been resolved. And we don't want that to happen because then I would have to act not directly for your upbuilding, but I would have to take action in, in uh, church discipline and in, uh, in, in, in proving the integrity 
of the ministry. Uh, Paul says, I don't want to do that, and you don't want me to do that either. Now, the first half or so of this epistle, 2 Corinthians, is written and it's rejoicing in the fact that Titus has come and Titus has indicated to him that the Corinthians have responded to Paul's letter and his appeal to them to take care of some of these matters that are taking place and to take care of the problem with the false apostles. And so the larger part of the Corinthians have responded to that. And that's the news that Titus brings. But it looks like there's still a, a segment of the of the congregation in, in Corinth that have not yet repented or else they went along and they didn't really mean it. And now they're, that Paul is out of the picture, they are back again uh, with these uh, with the sexual immorality and so forth that's mentioned. And so Paul's purpose is to make sure that the church is pure. And he says, I will take care of that when I get there if that's what I find. His expectation is that he won't find it. So as we look at that entire passage, uh, what's the takeaway for it? Well, I think what Paul accomplishes here under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is he validates his ministry. He validates the fact that he is a true apostle. Uh, he validates the, the, the fact that his ministry is a resounding success. So two things, two ways that he does that. He is a changed apostle, and there's always there, also there, a changed people. Uh, think about this. Paul was a persecutor of the Christian church. He sought Christians out in order to persecute them. And he says here in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 14 and 15, here for the third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek what is yours, not what is yours, but you. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What a dramatic change in the character of Paul's life from a persecutor of the church to one who is willing to spend everything that he has, including his own soul, for the sake of the soul of the Corinthians. So a, a, a miraculously changed apostle. And then a radically changed people as well. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3 that we looked at earlier. He says, there's been such a change in your life that you have become my letter of recommendation. I don't need anybody here to write me a letter that I can take away and present when I reach the next town. They've already heard about you. You're my letter of recommendation written on our hearts uh, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tab tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Uh, what a wonderful description we have here of God's work and the way he works, the way he worked then, the way he works now, the way he has always worked in the church. He changes people's hearts. 
in this case, the one who is ministering and also the ones to whom he ministered. Uh, that's true here too, isn't it? Uh, God changes all of our hearts. Uh, if, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, so being different people than we were uh, before we were converted. And it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for us here to see and be encouraged at the way God works. The way he worked in the first century is still the same way that he works today. And we should glory in it and we should praise him for it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this passage. Uh, we pray that we might be encouraged by how we see that you work uh, both then and the way you work now as you change the hearts of those whom you have called to be members of your family. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.